He said to Moses, that is God, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord had said, we will do. Because, of course, in the previous chapters, he gave them the Ten Commandments and the entire law of God. Initially, the civil law, religious law, he gave it to them. And so they're saying, we're going to do that. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel to who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood, put it in basins, half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up also with Aaron, Nabab and Abihu, who are his two older sons of Aaron, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So this is the story, historical record, of Moses going up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments for the first time because, as you know, the story goes, he received them, and then he came down, and they were worshiping the golden calf that Aaron had built for them, and he broke the Ten Commandments in his anger and frustration. Then he would go up again and get another set of the Ten Commandments, but this is going up for the first set of the Ten Commandments. Now, he'd already received the law, and it's called the Book of the Covenant here, and they said, we're going to do this. So that's the background here, and he's, he's about to go up and get all the instruction again for like the showbread, the tabernacle, the bronze altar of sacrifice, all those things. But I want to draw your attention to verse 1, this phrase. Now, he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. We find that phrase again in verse 12. Look at that. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me. On the mountain. And then we leave off with Moses went into the cloud on the mountain, just Moses and the Lord. Tonight I want to talk about when the Lord calls us up to be with just Him, just us, you as an individual, not you and your spouse, not you and your children, not you and your parents, not you and your neighbor, not you and your pastor, just you. For we came into the world alone, if you will, even if you're born twins, and you will. Stand before the Lord individually. Paul the Apostle said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, in a good way, we persuade men to repent and be saved. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I think we can all agree that the last 11 weeks of COVID-19 
for a lot of people has been a time of being alone with the Lord. Now, as we've gone through Genesis, we saw Jacob alone with the Lord, right? Remember, he had the, when he was fleeing from his brother in Bethel, he had the dream with the ladder and the rock as a pillow. He was alone with the Lord. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And he called it Bethel. Then when he came back with this large family 20 years later, fleeing, well, having made reconciliation with his father-in-law Laban, but on the cusp of meeting Esau, there at the side of the river, the brook, he wrestled with God and he was alone with the Lord. He wrestled with God all night. But in that situation, it was circumstance forced. It was in a, a crisis moment where he didn't know he was going to be wrestling with the Lord. He didn't know the Lord was going to come meet him in that way. We have a similar situation with Daniel in the book of Daniel where he was thrown into the lion's den and he was alone all night with the Lord and the lion. But we also know before he was, it was his manner of custom from his youth that three times a day he'd make time to face Jerusalem and be alone with the Lord in his prayer life before he was alone with the Lord and the lion. We know that Jesus made time to be alone with the Father proactively and uh, with intention because we know in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus got up early to spend time with the Father before the apostles were up. And like, what are you doing? We've got to do this and that. And he goes, no, for this reason I've come, we're going to do this. We also know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though Jesus with the apostles, he separated from the original 12, well, 11, because Judas had left, took the three, Peter, John, and James, closer to himself, and then separated himself from them. And those famous words, not my will, but thy will be done, if there's any other way, he spoke alone with the Father. And then even though Jesus was surrounded by criminals and accusers there on the cross, that great feeling of being alone with God was the feeling of God's presence departing from him when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So Jesus certainly knows what it's like to be alone. Great women and great men of the Bible know what it's like to be alone. One can only imagine what it was like for Esther to, to step out in faith to go before the king on behalf of her people alone, the courage that took in the greatest kingdom on the planet to go do that at that time. And that night before when she said, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But she was going to go in. So you can only imagine what the night was like for her alone. And so we could give many accounts of people we know in the Bible who were alone with the Lord in the midst of crisis or circumstances that we can learn from. And for us coming through COVID-19, maybe many of us have been in a crisis situation where we've been forced to be alone with the Lord, or maybe we've just proactively chosen to be with the Lord. In a very real sense, I think we all understand now what house arrest feels like. And when you read Acts 28 with Paul being under house arrest and people coming and going, some of us live like that for weeks. Some of you I'm looking at here tonight, I know, spent weeks essentially in a one-unit situation honoring the guidelines for COVID-19 as described and prescribed by our president and even our governor. But now we're coming out of that. And of course, I go back to my dad, thinking of my dad, who moved in on March 13th to the new facility, assisted living for him, coming from the facility in La Costa down in Carlsbad, that apart from the next morning on March 14th when I saw him, I've not been able to touch my dad and hug him and have that contact. And while I can look to him through the window on the second floor, he has been alone now for three months at the age of 89 and 90, which is really hard for me to wrap my mind around. But again, he's preparing to step into eternity. So that's between him and the Lord, as well as my father-in-law and the Lord and others. And while people come in to serve my dad, bring him meals and interact with him and talk with him, now that connection, that human connection, in a very real, very real sense, my dad said goodbye to my mom in the hospital December 28th before she passed on December 29th. My dad came to my mom's memorial. 
and my dad has moved here. And so even for my dad, a lot of emotion to be felt in the last five months, six months, and he's now 90, the big birthday party we we're going to have, we didn't have it. It just didn't happen. It wasn't going to happen. So when I look at this text where God says, come on up to the mountain, come to the mountain to Moses, this is contextual for what a lot of us have experienced, but it is by invitation and with deliberate purpose. And there's a lot we can learn from this and a lot we can relate to from this. It's okay to be alone with the Lord. That's one thing we need to understand. I remember years ago, I read a book about a Christian missionary who was arrested in Iran, and he spent a couple years in prison for his faith, and they purposely did things to break him and his faith by keeping him in solitary confinement. I also remember reading John McCain's book years ago, where he described when he was, of course, a prisoner of war in Vietnam for many, many years after he was shot down over Vietnam, and he's a high-profile person because his father was commander-in-chief of the Naval Pacific Fleet during the Vietnam War, so he's a prized prisoner that the NVA and the, the Vietnamese North Vietnam government wanted to get him to badmouth the government, America and all these things. And at one point in time, he was put into a uh, immovable solitary confinement for over three weeks. And uh, I've often just wondered, like, when I read stuff like that, like, how would I handle that? And maybe think, how would you handle that? But that being alone, some people cannot stand to be alone. And all of our kids are different. And the more kids you have, the more you realize some, they're fine being alone with quiet time. They like that. But some, they like to have social environment. They like to be with their friends all the time. And we vary. And even my own children vary this way. So we are designed to have a relationship with other people. We're designed to have connection with other people and interaction. And that's what's made COVID-19 so difficult. We're designed for that. God's made us interdependent in humanity. He's designed the family unit, tribes, nations. He did it. We read that in Genesis. He, he defined the nations in distinctions of ethnicities and people groups. God did it. And we're designed for that. But yet, we're also designed by the Lord, for the Lord, and of the Lord, to the Lord. And so, really, we are meant to be able to be alone with the Lord. And that's why God even holds all humanity accountable to him through creation. Because when you're really alone with creation... You climb a mountain in Kauai and you look out over Nepali coast and you're really thinking without anything clouding your mind, you should be thinking about the creator. That's a natural response to that. And so there's that balance. And so we've been busy, busy, busy for years in our society. And even now, you just see it's still like people are still constantly looking at their phones and this and that. We, we got an electric bike for me. We were out on the, the path yesterday, just so excited to ride my new electric bike. I've waited years to get an electric bike. It's a, just a really big deal for me. And one thing I realized on an electric bike is there's a lot of people driving cars that don't look for bikes, which, of course, if you're a bike rider, you know that. But I could not believe how many people I saw yesterday driving cars that are looking at their phones while they're driving. Now, when I'm driving the church van, I don't care. I'm driving a tank. They're more likely to be impacted by my vehicle than me by theirs. But when I'm on a bike and I'm suddenly realizing all the people driving all over Huntington Beach looking at a phone, I suddenly feel like I have to really be on my guard. And that's how we live in our society right now. Noise, white noise, very turned up high on the decibel level, and just distraction, 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 and the devil loves distraction. And I've said this all along with COVID-19, it's an opportunity to get along with the Lord, clear our mind, be still, know that he's God, and grow in our faith. And I've said all along, you've been listening to these studies for 11 weeks, is we cannot come out of COVID-19 being less than who we were, but being more of who we're meant to be. We have to come out of this stronger women, stronger men in faith. And if we have not, we got to fix it right now really quick. Because God forbid 
we share the planet this time with all humanity that we didn't grow in the Lord confessing Jesus Christ if, in fact, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He has forced a time out on the planet, and he's forced us to be alone if we're willing to be. And, you know, whatever the world wants to do, they can do, but the church is the church. And if judgment's coming, inevitably it is, it always begins with the church. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And this has been, for more than the planet, a time out for the body of Christ worldwide for people to slow down, particularly in our country, and be still. The Lord has said, come up to the mountain of the Lord. And he certainly said it to me more than twice, which he said to Moses here. Now, we're not going up to receive the Ten Commandments, and we're not mediators of a covenant. We are ambassadors of a covenant, the new and everlasting covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And God has said, come up to be alone with the Lord. And that's really what this has been an opportunity, this season of life for humanity has been an opportunity for. I'm not sure what other people did in previous pandemics. Like, we weren't alive during the Spanish flu. We weren't alive during the Black Plague when 80% of Europe was wiped out. I don't know what they did, what the monks did in the monasteries, what they didn't do, or the nuns or whoever that loved the Lord. I don't know what they did or didn't do. I just know 80% of Europe was wiped out during the Black Plague. And it was very painful, too. There's nothing new under the sun. Didn't you notice all the verses now? You recognize where it says the plague? I never noticed those verses. Did you ever notice those verses before, like you notice them now? I do. This is our time. God's allowed this. And here we are tonight, back together as a church. And God is saying, come up to the mountain of the Lord. Come up to be with the Lord. He says, reverse himself in the second person, come up to be with the Lord. Go be with the Lord. I'd be like me saying to Timmy, you need to be with your father right now. He'd be like, well, you are my father. Right, so you need to be with me right now. See, that's the two different distinctions. And sometimes the Lord will refer to himself in the second person like he does here in verse 1 and then the first person like he does in verse 12. But it's the invitation and really the command. And we talked about this last week in application of the three feasts where the men were required to stand before the Lord three times a year to give an account. So we've talked about accountability and responsibility before the Lord. But tonight we're just talking about the invitation to come up to be with the Lord. We want to respond to that invitation. We want to be a part of the invitation and we've only got one life to do it. But the Lord says, come up. Come up to the Lord. Come up to me. And this has to be not just our brand of identity for our life in COVID-19. It most certainly has to be our brand for identity in post-COVID-19. This is what the brand of the body of Christ is. Come up to be at the Lord. The body of Christ is meant to have been with the Lord and to reflect the Lord as they go about on behalf of the Lord. This is the book of Acts. This is fruitful church history. This is who we're meant to be at this time, even as Jack was praying earlier. As the song says, may I be an instrument of your love. I want to point out to you a couple things that we see here that might be reaffirmation of things we know, but maybe they're just, we need to be reminded, and there might be some new insights. But as we think about the Lord saying, come up to me, come up to the Lord, and as we're going forward in June, and everybody on this planet is adjusting, borders are opening up, people are going back to work, the whole planet's adjusting to the post-COVID world, and we need to think about application for us, for the church of Jesus Christ, come up to the Lord. It says here in verse 4 that Moses, that he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. When we think about coming up to be at the Lord, it is the priority of our life. 
making time for the Lord. Now, obviously, we don't climb mountains, although I did tell that story when I was younger and I did that. We don't have to climb mountains to be at the Lord. Jesus died on the cross so we can wake up and come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, that we can come with access all the time with the Lord. To spend time with the Lord, to go be with the Lord, is the single most important thing that we can do, and it is a, it's the highest priority of our life. That's why when Jesus said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven, you must eat of my body, that's what he's saying. We're going to eat three meals a day in most cases. And Jesus said, I am. Your father's ate man in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. That's showbread before the, ar- the veil, the ark of the, you know, the holiest of holies. It speaks that God is our sustenance for our soul. We feed our bodies. And as Elizabeth Elliot said years ago, we don't live to eat. We eat to live. We're eating. We're meeting the physical to fulfill the spiritual, not being driven by the carnal and the physical. When Jesus said to the woman at the well, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again, it wasn't about the water in the middle of the day in you know, the West Bank. It was about the living water of life of the Spirit coming from us. And so our real sustenance every day of life is to be abiding in Christ and prioritizing the pursuit of Christ above all else. If the world wants to wake up and listen to noise... I don't know about you, but when I, I've stayed in hotels a lot, even in recent years, and it always drives me nuts when you're at a hotel and you go get the free breakfast or you're doing the breakfast, and there's always like news on or something, and it's just noise, it's just distraction. And even when we went back to Cleveland to bury my mother, and we were in the hotel two days, my brother and my sister and I together, my brother just has to have the news on. I was like, please, could you just please know? Please, I'm begging you. Like, you go down to the lobby and you want to spend time with the Lord there, and it and then you got all that noise of everything going on, the TVs in the lobby. Even in Russia, when I'm there in Vladimir, and I, I want to just try and read my Bible, they've got these Russian music videos on at like 7 in the morning. And it's like, the devil loves distracting noise. And that's why we must follow the example of Christ, who got up early and spent time with his father, uh, apart from anybody or anything. Because that's our life. And when he was asked to teach him how to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that tells us right away that when we get called up to be with the Lord, is the first thing he's going to do is reveal himself to us and the priorities of the life that we can measure everything else by. His presence and his character and his promises is the plumb line by which we measure the demands of our day-to-day life. Because life happens and things go wrong. Things go good. There's good days and bad days. My wife brought home her school stuff from the school year the other day. You know, like they're packing everything up at Calvary School. It's always kind of emotional, right? You know, and, and this year was just so different. It's even more emotional. But they always do the, the pictures of the teachers. And, they all, you know, it's like the photo people they hired. It'll be like, you know, keep learning. And, you know, little cute sayings. But, but hers, one of her said for Calvary this year for the pre-K was, have a, have a great day. And it's my wife's picture. And it had like a checkbox and like an apple. And I was just like, and I look at it, it's right there in front of where I do everything in my life. And it makes me happy to look at my wife and have a great day. And then I realized though, do teachers have a great day 280 days of the year or whatever? Of course not. You don't always have a great day, but you want to have a great day. Life happens. Sometimes it's a great day and everything's happy and it all goes well. Sometimes it's it's a bad day. 
we've, we've been living through this, right? That's life. You have good days and bad days. And, and you need to have the Lord proceed the good day and the Lord proceed the bad day. And we need to see the Lord in and through it all, whatever day it is. That's what we need to do. We need to prioritize that time with the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar, which also shows to us, I know the context is here with Moses, but I do like the idea that he got up early and he just didn't get up early like just to get up early and like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this or whatever. Because most people get up early and do something. They watch the news, right? Or they read a, an inspirational book or something or they read their Oprah magazine, whatever it is. They get up early and do something that influences them. Think and grow rich or whatever. You know, like they do something like that. You know, all these famous people are always advertising on Instagram, like, think like me and you'll be rich. Like, they, they read those books by those guys if they're not reading the Bible or something. But we get, to, we get to get up early and spend time with the Lord. And here it says that Moses built an altar. So his early time with the Lord in this context was a place with sacrifice and worship. And that's what our morning should be with the Lord, too. Because we're told in First Peter that we offer up the sacrifices of praise, that we're a holy priesthood. We're the special treasure. We're the people born on eagle's wings, the church in the new covenant. And that's what we get to do. We're spiritual stones being built up into a holy habitation, we're told. So for us, we get up early, and it is a time of worship. It is a time of praise, and it's a time of sacrifice. Because in that morning devotion, that time with the Lord, that's when the Lord says, you know what? That dream, let it go. That bitterness, it's got to go. I got something better. What you're holding on to, release it now. So what I'm saying to you is it's a good idea when you prioritize that time with the Lord. We'll never have it again. Once you're in eternity, you can't live by faith. So just know that. This is the only time we can live by faith. This is the only time you can prove you're trusting in God is this journey. You don't get a chance to prove you trust his promises when you're in eternity because you're in his promises. And you don't get a chance to live by faith when you're in eternity because the fullness of your faith has come to pass. This is it. This is it. So I would just say when he says, come up to the mountain to be with me, build the altar and let that time not just be a time where it's all about you and I'm going to feel better about myself and this and that and, you know, goals for life. It's like, no, it's about building altars and worshiping Jesus because the sacrifice of praises is what's on our lips. And we, we learn to worship and praise the Lord and to sacrifice before the Lord. And of all the sacrifices, what's the one that's absolutely clear in the New Testament? Uh Present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the room of your mind. What can be, what can be, as Jack prayed for the body of Christ in this volatile time, what can be more valuable than not being conformed to this world, but being transformed with the mind of Christ? So I exhort us, WG, anyone listening to me, get up early, prioritize that time with the Lord, build the altars. Praise the Lord, worship the Lord, and sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed. Because anything he's calling to sacrifice is in the best interest for you and his calling on your life. God is light and him is no darkness at all. We also see the second thing is it says when they went up that Moses and Aaron, verse 9, and Nadab and the 70, they got to see the God of Israel. Now, they didn't see God of Israel like we think of seeing Jesus in person because we know that no one can see God and live. So some sense of a form or a sense of the presence of God, but no one's seen the face of the Father, if you will. But there in what they saw, they saw glory, and under his feet, as it were paved, a work of sapphire stone, and the, like the very heavens in its clarity. Eternity came to time, space, and matter in, on this day, and they're all there. And I've said this before, 
supernatural things don't make us supernatural believers because many people see signs and wonders and don't walk with the Lord. And even Nadab and Abihu who's seen this glory, they're going to be disqualified from ministry and struck down by the Lord. Because when they saw his glory, the next time they saw it, they tried to take it. We'll get that soon enough. So, in that priority of time with the Lord, when he calls us up to the mountain with the Lord, we realize that when we come in his presence, it is also to get perspective, to truly see the Lord for who he is. Again, it's not like, God, help me with this, help me with this job interview, help me pay these bills on time, uh, give me favor with this inquiry or whatever. Like, those are things we all pray for. There's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But to be with the Lord is to see the Lord. Because heaven is Jesus and Jesus is heaven. And that's glorious. And there in Revelation 4, when the Father's throne is described to us, there's that rainbow over it and all this glory and the angels worshiping. The scene of heaven and the glory of the Lord is so beyond our cognitive capacities in time, space, and matter. Especially the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Now, we can be transformed from glory to glory, which is what the Spirit wants to do. And we can begin to, by faith, apprehend God's glory. And he might even give us revelations of his glory to some degree beyond what he might give someone else. Hey, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. He might. I mean, Isaiah was, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord there in Isaiah chapter 6 and he was pronouncing woes and then he saw the Lord's like, woe is me for the train of his robe fills the glory, the temple with glory. We know that when God shows his glory, everyone is brought to their knees and humble before the Lord. Even in Revelation chapter 1, when Jesus appears to John the Apostle in full glory, John thought of himself as good as dead. So let's make really clear right now, we're not worshiping the false gods of men and the foolish ideologies and philosophies of men. Here in the church of Jesus Christ, we worship Jesus Christ, who is the head of all things, by whom are all things, for whom are all things, and in him all things consist. God is one. And God sent his Son and has entrusted all things to the Son, and all things are for his glory, and he's the judge of all things. So when we're here tonight and we're singing these songs with Jack, we're worshiping the preeminent one who's over the church, not just over the church, not just over worship generation and the Calvary movement and the body of Christ, the evangelical church worldwide. He's over the church of all generations. All things are by him and for him and in him. And it's a privilege to be alive right now living for Jesus Christ because this is our timeline. And we exist to know him and make him known. We exist to understand his heart by spending time with him and to carry that out into humanity in our timeline. And he wants us to see his glory. He wants to show us his glory. And as we make time for him, he'll touch us with his glory. I was thinking about this. I mentioned this recently, but in my book that I've been reading on Ivan Prokhanov, the evangelical leader for the Russian church in the late 1800s up to like 1935-ish, he was separated from his wife through various hardships during the Bolshevik Revolution and the Civil War in Russia. They're like post-World War I, like 1918-23, the Civil War went on. It was horrible. Millions of people died. But uh, he was separated from his wife. She's, she, there was no food. Leningrad, which is, of course, St. Petersburg, but it was, yeah. So and she had gone to the south, down by the Black Sea, down by the Georgia Republic and the Caucasus down there where her family is from because there was food. But he had a dream where he was looking at his wife and she was dying and she died. 
The same night, one of his co-laborers there in St. Petersburg had the same dream where he saw that Ivan Prokhanov's wife passed away right in front of her. It was a woman in her sleep. They both had the same dream. He's like, wow. It was July 10th, 1921. He'd been married 19 years. had two sons with his wife. She did, in fact, die that night. She died that night, that very night. And that got me thinking, if the Lord is so personal to show Ivan Prokhanov and let him know that his wife has passed. He didn't confirm it. He heard rumors four months later, someone came from the South because, you know, the white army's in the South, so you couldn't get back and forth. And it was a civil war, but someone came through all that hardship, came back up for the Moscow region, St. Pete, and told him, I heard your wife has passed away. But he didn't have it confirmed for almost an entire year. And when it was confirmed, she literally died that night. So let me suggest this to us, WG and Body of Christ, anyone listening. If the Lord is willing to show Ivan Prokhanov that his wife has passed away in a dream, confirm it to someone else with him the same night in a dream. What glorious things of good news might he want to show us in our dreams when we make time for him? If it will be that personal to communicate with us things that break our heart, how much more personal is he willing to show us things, those things that will exalt our heart in his presence to glory in him? That's what I thought. When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. But we know in the last days, we're told through the prophet Joel, that we will, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And that the, God will pour out his spirit to, on the young women to prophesy and the young men to prophesy. We need dreams and we need visions and we need prophecy. And the ones that really matter are the ones that come from people who have made time to be the Lord and come from the presence of his glory. And that's all they see. Because see, once you see heaven, that's all you see. So all the white noise and all the rage and the rage, just the, the frothing and the intensity and you, like what? You're just like Jesus in the middle of a storm when Pharisees are accusing you and you're raising the dead or you're forgiving people for their sins. You're just walking right through the, the storm with peace. And that's how we need to be. We need to hear Jesus. We need to see Jesus. We need to be Jesus. It's that simple. That's what we're meant to be. When he says, come into the mountain with me, it's not so there's an, a short-term objective to be accomplished for time, space, and matter that makes our life more comfortable or better or whatever we think it might be. When he calls us up to the mountain and he calls us daily to be with him, it's so we'll be transformed by his glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's all about the kingdom. We're told to set our mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And we can minister to things of the earth if our mind is properly calibrated from seeing the glory of the Lord and the things above. And we'll realize that Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us to deliver us from sin and to deliver us from the grave and deliver us from the devil. And we are free that we are to reckon the old man dead and we live for righteousness. And we believe that he will raise us up when he, as he raised up the son and when he comes in glory, we will be in his glory. That's a combination of about six different verses right there. Mainly Romans 6 and Colossians 3. That's who we are. So it's not that the sky is falling is who's holding it together. And since the first and great commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that going up the mountain, that prioritizing, and that getting perspective, that is fulfilling the first, that great commandment because we understand the heart of God and God is light and him is no darkness at all and there's no shadow of turning. And so we come from that. We come into a world where there's plenty of shadow of turning and plenty of injustice and plenty of hostility and we walk with peace in the midst of the storm and we bring peace because blessed are those who bring the gospel of peace, glad tidings 
of great joy. And that's who we are. Which brings us to the final thing. We get that perspective. We see the glory, the paid work of sapphire. We see it and we shouldn't. It's not religion, it's relationship. And God will show us his glory. And then we see there in verse 12 where he said, Come to me on the mountain and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I've written that you may teach them. Now, God doesn't take us up the mountain and give us the Ten Commandments. That was for Moses. But Jesus did say, abide in me, and I and you will bear much fruit. If my word abides in you, you will ask what you will, and you will bear much fruit. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And greater love has no man than this, than a man to lay down his life for his friends. The fruit is love. And having just gone through the Ten Commandments, the simplicity and the clarity of the human experience just has never been clear for me, personally, as a disciple of Jesus Christ nor in ministry as a pastor. It is so clear and so simple to me. It's almost like I see a code that I've never seen before. And trying to articulate what I believe God's been showing me going through Exodus. I was talking with Pastor Matt from Shoreline yesterday. We were discussing things, and I was trying to say, him, like, I just feel like suddenly I just see it all, like a panoramic, like if I'm looking at the Sistine Chapel, and like I just suddenly I see it all. It's clearer than I've ever seen it before. And maybe it's just because I'm closer to heaven than the younger people, if the Lord tarries or not. I don't know. But it just, it all seems so clear to me. Jesus said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then he said the second like it, to love your neighbors yourself. So if you've been with the Lord, you've made time for the Lord, and you've been with the Lord, you've seen the glory of the Lord, you're going to come from that, and you're going to come with his word down the mountain and his heart and that testimony, and you're going to teach others. And you're going to teach them because how you act how you react, how you carry yourself, how you, well, let me be an instrument of your peace. Like the song was singing with Jack. Like, you're going to be that person. I'm not trying to manufacture to be the super citizen and the second coming Mother Teresa. I'm just simply overflowing with Jesus Christ for my timeline in the year of our Lord 2020 in Orange County. That's who I am. You can't be with the Lord and get the Ten Commandments and be taught, taught to teach other people and come out of that timeline and be angry at people on the freeway, angry at people at the mall, angry at people because they're a different gender or they're confusing their gender or because they're not citizens or anything else. You just can't be that way. You can't be in his glory with sapphire this and the rainbow that and come out of that and be angry with humanity. It just doesn't work. Because God sent his son to die for humanity. It's incompatible. It is not possible to confess Christ and have attitudes and dispositions of hostility toward humanity. It's not possible. Because that's not the heart of God. And we might not be able to change the world, and we may seem pretty insignificant in the scheme of things. And the devil can talk you down where you feel completely insignificant, but still, Christ has redeemed you, and your life has meaning and purpose. But to quote the common phrase that's been so popular lately, if we just stay in our lane with Jesus Christ and shine for Jesus Christ, there's a lot of people who are going to want to come in our lane and share it with us. If you ever wonder, what is Joey doing with his Instagram and stuff? He's crazy. No, I am inviting people to come with me. And I've determined to project joy and peace and hope and heaven and love and grace. And if people want to project rage and anger and hostility... They can. If they project it on me, I just think, blip, block, delete, gone. I don't have time for it. I don't even respond. Well, occasionally I will, but graciously to clarify something. You can't even tell people you're opening up for church without having people put weird things on your 
People are out of control. The whole planet's out of control. Don't be out of control. Be in your lane with the Holy Spirit and shine. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The glory of the Lord was on that mountain. And the word of the Lord was on that mountain. And God said, you're going to come down from that mountain and you're going to share what I've shown you on that mountain. And even when he went the second time and he's is in the cleft of the rock and the Shekinah glory goes by and he comes down with the Shekinah glory, he's reflecting that voice, veiling it. But now we're told that we don't veil. It's unveiled for us. So we, we don't have a fading glory like Moses with the, with the veil. We'll get to that later. We have an expanding glory. And that's, we just, that's who we want to be. That's who we're meant to be. There's no religion in that. That's just relationship. And if we're that person, that woman, that man, when we come down from the mountain, we will fulfill the second and great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves because we already love ourselves. So if we spend time in the presence of the glorious Father and the Son and the Spirit and we see the glory and we come from that place, it, we know it's not about us. And we, we have no rights other than that we're redeemed. We have no rights. We're bondservants. And then we're free to come from that mountain experience, that time with the Lord, and just let, 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 it, let it roll. Let it go. Just let it go and let God use us for his glory. And we will love humanity. Because if we study God's law, we study the gospel, we study Genesis to Revelation, we're just going to find that the heart of the Father is love for humanity. And we're going to fulfill the great commandment first because we're spending time with him and re reciprocating that love. And we're going to fill the second one because we come from that and we bring it to our world. It's so simple. It's not complex. It's very simple. Come up to the mountain. Make time. Prioritize it. Make it a time of worship and praise. Not a have to, but a get to. Get the heavenly perspective from that mountaintop. From that mountaintop. And then come down the mountain with purpose. With purpose to bring Christ into every part of the world around us. And if people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But that's the purpose. That's the purpose. To lose our life in Christ and let it shine for Christ until he's done with us. So let us be reminded of that on this night as we consider Moses where God said to him, come up to the Lord. Come up to me.